Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron. I'm JJ. And thanks so much for joining us. And hey, if you're new here, we wanna say a special welcome to you. We'd love a chance to connect with you. You can do that by going to our website, newcity.us connect. And while you're there, why don't you take a moment to share today's message? You can send an email or a text or even post on social media. You never know the impact that it might have on someone. And today we're joined again by Joel, who's leading us in worship. So let's get ready to worship together. Welcome to New City Online. I'm Joel. I have Lydia with me here today. We're excited to worship with y'all. If y'all would, just join us in celebrating and rejoicing how good God is today. Come on. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And I raise a hallelujah and louder than the unbelief. And I
might be a little out of breath right now, because I am. But if y'all could muster up some more strength and sing a little bit longer. This is so good. And I've carried a burden for too long on my own. And I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. And I see it now. Yes, I'm laying this down. And I know that I need you. I'll run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with So I run to the Father again and again and again and again and whoa and whoa and you saw my condition I had a plan from the start your son for it
thank you so much. No matter how far I run away, God, you always accept me when I run back with a ring and a robe. You throw a party and you celebrate. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice again today. Allow your will to be done in this service. Allow your spirit to completely dwell. Hmm. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. I love the words of that last song, run to the Father, fall into grace. And one way that we will continue worship today is by celebrating communion at the close of the sermon. So if you have a moment, go grab some crackers or bread and some juice and prepare your communion elements. And then stick around at the end of the sermon and Pastor Chris will lead us through communion together. And a few months ago, we concluded a series called Blind Spots. And it was all about seeking justice from the inside out. As part of that series, we built a website, a resource for you, adjustcity.us, that's packed with articles and books and podcasts, all pointed to this issue of justice. This past week, we updated the website with an interview from our friend, Colleen Odegaard. So again, you can go check out that resource, adjustcity.us. And as a church, we want to be known as radically generous. What that means for us is that we want to be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our finances. If you're ready to give today, go to newcity.us slash give to make a one-time gift or to set up recurring giving. Will you join me right now as we pray for our offering? Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to partner with you in the work that you're doing all around the world. Thank you that you enable us to give our time, our talent, and our finances to support spreading the gospel in our city and our world. Be with us this week and inspire us to go and do more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now we're going to continue our series in Nehemiah with Pastor Chris Payne. So the wall was finished. With these five words, our friend Nehemiah marks the completion of the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem and the completion of this great work that God called Nehemiah to lead in the people of God in restoring and rebuilding the walls that surrounded the holy city of Jerusalem. It, it, it marked the completion of this great thing that God began to do in Nehemiah's heart and then what was spread to the other people of God as Nehemiah led them towards uh, this great work that God called them to. It, it's, it's striking to me how simple words, when they're backed by God's power, can have such a profound effect. These effect, these five simple words that, that mark uh, the completion of the wall. So the wall was finished. There's so much in those words. There's so much story behind that. You know, it's interesting as we, we think about the life of Jesus when he was attacked and persecuted and questioned specifically during the Passion Week, the final week of his life here on earth. The Bible says that he spoke very few words. He allowed his actions to do the speaking. And it was from the cross that Jesus said these three simple words, it is finished. Such a, a simple phrase, simple words, but they mark a really big work that God did. And here's the deal, guys. Uh, we see this in the life and the times of, of, of Nehemiah and his story. We see this all throughout the scriptures with other biblical stories. We see this in our own stories and the work that God's doing in our life, that God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. 
And oftentimes, as Nehemiah is attacked in these first six chapters, as we've been journeying through together, we see him speaking very simple words. We don't see him speaking as much as his enemies do. People who know that God is speaking oftentimes feel the need to speak less. When we know that God's at work, when we know that God's speaking, we don't feel the need to have to fill the void with a bunch of words and our own rhetoric and speaking. We can be simple with our words. Again, we know as we've journeyed with our friend Nehemiah that he was relentlessly attacked in the first few chapters of this story. All kinds of, of assaults and threats and, and, and all kinds of words that came against him and the people of God as they were about rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And yet he keeps his words simple and few. And that might be a good lesson for each of us today, right? And the times that we find ourselves in to, 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 to let God do the speaking and to let our words be fewer, to let our words be simple. As we recap where we've been in the story of Nehemiah, because today is the, the last installment of this first section in the book of Nehemiah. We'll pick it up in a few weeks in part two. But as we come to this final passage today, Nehemiah 6, verses 15 through 19, we look back and we see that Nehemiah's words were very simple and few, but it's such a profound story that God was completing because he always finishes what he starts. The, the words begin from Nehemiah in chapter one, verse two, with a question. This simple statement from Nehemiah, the simple question, I asked them, I asked uh, the people who had returned from Jerusalem to where he was in Susa, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. It's, it's the form of a question these simple words take on. And our journey with Nehemiah begins in Susa. It doesn't begin in Jerusalem where we find ourselves today in chapter 6. It begins a thousand miles away in the citadel, the capital city of the Persian Empire in Susa. He's the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, who was the most powerful man on the planet during that time. And yet with all that Nehemiah has going on, with this big life that he was living in Susa as cupbearer to the king, he's concerned for his fellow Jews who find themselves in Jerusalem. And he's concerned specifically for the people People, but also for the, the city itself and the structure and the walls and the temple. He's concerned with what God wants to do through the people of God. Because remember, all the way back to Genesis 12, God's people are called to be blessed in order that they can be a blessing to other people. And this was on Nehemiah's heart. And so his simple words, as we kind of recap the story, begin with a simple question. How are the people doing? How's Jerusalem? And it's out of that concern that God begins to, to birth a passion and what would become a calling to, to join the work that God wanted to do in rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And then let's continue on in, in chapter two, just again in recapping the story and where we've, where we've come, Nehemiah's simple words, it says in, in chapter two, verse four, so I prayed. So he goes before King Artaxerxes. He wants to ask permission to go back to Jerusalem and, and help rebuild the walls and join in with what he perceives uh, is God's will for his life and what God wants to do. And it all begins with a simple prayer. Chapter two, verse four. Verse four. Uh, Nehemiah says, I prayed and then I, I went into the presence of, of Artaxerxes. And I waited for the right opportunity for the king to, to invite me uh, to, to speak about what was on my heart. And so Artaxerxes notices that, that something's off with Nehemiah, that he seems down. And he asks him, what's going on? And then he asks him a, a really important question that we said is such a great question for each of us today. What is it that you want, Nehemiah? What is it that you want? 
And as we think about prayer, as we think about this conversation that we have ongoing with God, coming before him with our requests, with our praise, with our desires, with our intercession for other people, what a great question for each of us to wrestle with today. What is it that you want? And specifically in the context of prayer, because that's what this is, uh, what is it that you want in prayer, Nehemiah? What is it that you're praying for? And I would ask you the same question. What is it that you're praying for? What is it that you're consistently coming before God with a request or a desire or a word for him? What is it that you want, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah begins to share God's vision uh, with King Artaxerxes, what God has put on Nehemiah's heart. He's faithful to share. Uh, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to give me time off. I want you to give me supplies. I want you to give me letters so I can pass freely and, and walk the journey back. And so then the third simple word that Nehemiah gives to to share his story is, so I came to Jerusalem, again in chapter 2, verse 11. So after he prays, after he goes before the king, after he makes his request and says, here's what I want, here's what God has put on my heart, he, he journeys all the way from the capital city of Susa to Jerusalem, where we find him today in chapter six. And this was, a, I love, these are again, simple few words, so I came to Jerusalem, but a big story behind these very few words. A lot that happens in just these little words. I brought the map again for you to see the context of this. Susa was again, the capital city of the Persian empire, which is in yellow here that you can see it was an expansive empire. It was the largest empire in the world at that time in the fifth century, century BC. Uh, Nehemiah has to go a thousand miles east to Jerusalem from the capital city of Susa. And can you imagine all that went into that? There was no Uber, there was no light rail. It was walking the entire way. And he had to pass through all kinds of different people groups and lands to get there. And so there's a lot that goes into it. But Nehemiah, again, just simply states, so I came to Jerusalem. God did what he promised. God was faithful to lead me this whole way. And he'll be faithful in your journey too. He'll be faithful to lead you and to guide you and to provide for you and to help you along the way as he brings you to your calling. God always provides for the places and for the people and for the ways that he's called. So when God calls you to something, God provides for that. And we see that in these few words here. So I came to Jerusalem. God provides letters. He provides supplies. He provides time off. All the things that Nehemiah needs to get back to Jerusalem and do the work that he's called him to. Here's the fourth simple word from Nehemiah. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Chapter 2, verse 18. Again, just the recap of where we've been so far in the story with our friend Nehemiah. And, and who he's referring to specifically who is their hands? It's the people of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah has come from Susa to Jerusalem with this call in his heart, but he's had to be faithful to share the vision of God, this vision to rebuild the walls around the city. And he has to share that with the people and the people take that vision on. And in verse 18, this is a big moment in the story, but again, very few words for this very big moment that God is doing. The people take the vision now. It's not just Nehemiah's vision, it's the people's vision. And they join with Nehemiah in this vision that God's given and God strengthens their hands for the work. They agree to join God in what he's doing. And that's what we should do as well. God is at work and we're called to join God in the work that he's already doing in his world. This ultimately was not Nehemiah's vision. It was not his project. It was God's vision. It was God's project. And God always finishes what he starts. Here's the fifth thing. Chapter four, verse six, these simple words in Nehemiah, just recapping his story. So we built the wall. Again, just a really, really short phrase, 
but so much behind that, so much only God work that goes into the, to the rebuilding of the walls. Uh, Nehemiah had to be faithful to, to spread them out all across the city and to, to help them understand how to rebuild. They, they had to learn it together because most of these folks who helped rebuild the wall were not professionals. There's so much that goes into these five simple words, so we, so we built the wall. But Nehemiah is faithful in these very few words to share God's story. And I love here as well, look at the pronoun that, that Nehemiah uses because he uses a, a plural pronoun all throughout the story as he retells it. It's we, it's not me, it's not my story, it's our story. And that's so true for us today as the people of God. It's, it's not about any one of us, it's about, it's about all of us and what God is doing through his people, the capital C church. Then the sixth thing uh, Nehemiah says in these simple words, again, just retelling the story, chapter four, verse 21, so we labored. And the context of this, you'll remember, is all of these different attacks coming against Nehemiah and the people. All kinds of threats, all kinds of slander, all kinds of gossip that is coming against Nehemiah. And, and I love his faithful words here, so we labored. We just continued the work in the midst of all the attacks. And maybe that's a word for some of you today. That in the midst of, of feeling attacked and oppressed or, and whatever that might be in your life right now, that you just need to continue to take the next step forward, the next step closer to what God has called you to. Just go and do, here's a really great, simple advice and counsel and application from Nehemiah today. Go and do the next godly thing that God's called you to. Just go do the next godly thing. You may not know what's, what's, what's a month uh, from now or a year from now or, or, you know, or years from now, but, but you can go and do the next godly thing. That's, that's ultimately what Nehemiah says here. So we just labored. We did the next thing that God had called us to do in the midst of the attacks. And then, and then the seventh thing, the final thing, just in way of recap, these simple words from Nehemiah. Last week, we talked about this one, verse three, chapter six. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. All of his enemies were calling him to come down off the wall, to stop the rebuilding, to, to not get to the place where we are today, where the wall was completed, to distract him. And he says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And I asked you a question last week. What is the great work that God's called you to that, that you need to not come down off the wall from? You know, whether it's parenting or starting a nonprofit or being a faithful uh, business person or, or educator or a person in medicine or a first responder, whatever that might be, this great work that God's called you to that you need to stick to and not come down. And we talked about this last week. Don't leave what God has clearly called you to to go chase something that he's clearly called you not to do. Such a simple word from Nehemiah but such a great application for each of us. He says, stay on the wall. I'm staying here where God has clearly called me because he hasn't clearly called me to go with you and to be distracted. He says, why should I leave the work and why should it stop while I come down to you? Why should the great work that God's doing in and through your life stop while you chase some sort of distraction or confusion or attack? Let me summarize Nehemiah's simple words with this word from Ecclesiastes. The Bible says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. My simple words, my few words can tell an only God story. And that's what Nehemiah has done in these first six chapters as we've journeyed with him. He has been faithful to, to, to write out, to tell his story to Ezra 
so that we can read it and, and learn from it even today. 2,500 years later, this only God story with very few words, but a lot of big uh, actions, a lot of big prayers, a lot of big steps of faith, um, all, all kinds of things that Nehemiah models for us in following the will of God for his life. And you know, only God stories, and this is, wouldn't you agree with me? This is certainly an only God story, the whole thing, the book of Nehemiah. Only God's stories as told by Nehemiah to us today have influence on people. They, they change things. You know, all of the Old Testament, all of the Hebrew Testament, all 39 books can be summarized in one simple word. Remember, remember. God wants us to remember how he has worked, how he's been faithful, because he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. His character never changes. And so when we want to know what God is doing, we go back to what he's done. When we want to know what he's saying in our lives, we go back to what he has said. And so Nehemiah is faithful to share this story with Ezra who records it for us that all these years later, the people of God can read God's word and remember what he has done. Remember all the only God stories because they encourage us, they influence us, they call us once again to trust him in the same way that Nehemiah trusted God and all the people trusted God. They remind us of what only God can do in and through our lives. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles today, if you haven't done so already, to Nehemiah chapter 6. And let's continue the story here with verses 15 through 19. And I just want to read for you to begin with verses 15 and 16 as we continue this only God story. Again, these first five words, I love it. Nehemiah begins uh, to tell the story again. He says, so the wall was finished. Simple words, big action on God's part big work on God's behalf. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. And in 52 days, check that again, in 52 days, this wall was completed. Amazing. Most commentators believe it would have taken a normal group of people this size two years to complete this work. It's completed in 52 days. Verse 16, and when all of our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived, listen to this, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. In other words, they perceived that this was an only God story. When they heard that the wall had been completed in 52 days, something that should have taken years, they knew that God was with us. They knew this was an only God story. It was a miracle. And moreover, just in his, an historical context here in verses 15 and 16, Nehemiah's only God story that he's telling, the month of Elul was the sixth month of the Hebrew year. It was the very ending of the hot season, the sun, summer, meaning Nehemiah and the remnant of God's people there in Jerusalem had been rebuilding the wall throughout the oppressive summer months. Those 52 days were right smack dab in the middle of the summer. So think about the summers here in, in Charlotte, if you live in the Charlotte community, uh, that are hot and are humid. And imagine doing this rebuilding work right in the thick of the, of the heat and the humidity. That's what Nehemiah says. In other words, it's as if all the odds were stacked against Nehemiah and the people. Not only were they attacked by the nobles there, the people in the surrounding communities, but they were rebuilding the walls during the, the, the hot summer months. But you know, God doesn't care about the odds. The God that we serve, the one true God, doesn't care about the odds. He doesn't care that the odds might be stacked against you in your life right now. 
They might be stacked against your marriage or against one of your children or at work or something that you're facing today. God doesn't care that the odds are stacked against his people because God plus you equals a majority. When you're with God, when you're following his will and his heart, you're always in the majority. And so it's as as if Nehemiah is saying, you know, not only all these attacks that were coming against us, but we rebuilt this thing in 52 days in the middle of the summer. All the odds were stacked against us and yet God prevailed because, because God always finishes what God starts. Nothing is impossible for God. Again, he doesn't care about the odds because he's been beating the odds since the beginning of time. Nehemiah tells us in verse 16, moreover, that they, the people, right, the nations, when they heard that the walls had been rebuilt, that God has, had done this, this only God miracle, that, that, that they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the, with the help of our God and that, that their esteem fell and that they were afraid. Now, all throughout the book, these first six chapters so far, the fear has been coming from the enemies of God towards Nehemiah and the people that are rebuilding the walls. They've used fear because all the attacks that have come against them are all rooted in fear. And all the attacks that come against you, the people of God, are rooted in fear. They're meant to cause you to stop doing what God wants you to do and to start doing what God doesn't want you to do. That's what fear does. When we give in to fear, we stop doing what God wants us to do and we start doing what God doesn't want us to do. And so Nehemiah says here in verse 16, I love this, chapter six, that now who's afraid? It's the nations that are afraid. It's the people that have been attacking that are afraid. It's some of the nobles and and some of Nehemiah's uh, enemies that are specifically named. They are the ones who are afraid. It's as if they've been lobbing grenades at Nehemiah and the people as they've been rebuilding the wall. And now all their grenades are being thrown back at them. And they're exploding in fear and their esteem is lowering because they see that God is in this. My dad used to say, the bigger they are, the the harder they fall. The bigger your enemies are, the bigger the bullies are, the harder they fall. And these guys are falling hard here because they've been so big in their words and coming against Nehemiah and now it's all being turned back upon them. I love how Nehemiah describes this again in verse 16. He says, their esteem fell. All the nations, his enemies, their esteem uh, uh, fell. In other words, they were were brought down a notch in their own eyes. And that's what happens when we come uh, to encounter the one true God. When we see God for who he really is, when we see the miraculous, when we see only God's stories, we're meant to be humbled. Our esteem should come down. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. You know, we, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. When we encounter the one true living God, we come to the end of ourselves. And and it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we can receive the new life that God has for us through Christ. But just like in Jesus's time, some people came to the end of themselves and they humbled themselves and other people were humbled. Some people chose to come to the end of themselves and bow before God. And some people continued to stand, continued to be prideful, continued to to work against what God wanted to do. And that brings us to the final part of our passage today, verses 17 through 19. These, these, the, the way I put it in my notes here is physical structures and power systems. And we're going to see here that oftentimes uh, physical structures can change more quickly than power systems do. 
Look at verses 17 through 19. Nehemiah continues in telling the story. He says, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, one of his many enemies. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Hmm, interesting. Because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Era, the son of Jehoanan, the, uh, that had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of uh, Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. So in other words, the people, the nobles that are in Jerusalem, the people in the, the power structure, the people who were in charge, they're continuing to send letters to Tobiah, one of the, the noted enemies of Nehemiah and, uh, and, and noted enemies of, of God's work in rebuilding the walls. They're still continuing to correspond. And, and notice here that, that Nehemiah says that Tobiah, one of his enemies, is continuing to send letters to the nobles. Now, the nobles were the same people in chapter five as we covered that are oppressing the people of God. They're the same ones that are using their privilege and power to oppress other people. So in other words, they don't like the changes that have happened through Nehemiah and his leadership. They don't like that the walls have been rebuilt and that the people have been empowered through the will of God, through the, the strengthening of their hands in God's will. They wanted to stay in charge. They didn't want God to be in charge. And it's the same thing we see in the New Testament. As Jesus is performing miracles, as he's demonstrating through his words and his deeds, the authority that he has as God himself, there are people in power structures that do not want to accept that because they do not want to change. And oftentimes it's the nobles and the religious people in Jesus' times that missed him because they were unwilling to humble themselves and come to the end of themselves. So with God's help, Nehemiah and the people have rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. But the old systems and the power structures that existed in Jerusalem long before Nehemiah came, they are slow to change. And Nehemiah says that they're still corresponding. There's still this relationship. And, and, and Tobiah, moreover, verse 19, was still trying to make me afraid. Oftentimes it is easier to change uh, physical structure than it is to change power structure. Let, let me say it a different way. Walls are easier to rebuild than people. And Nehemiah finds that out that the walls have been rebuilt 52 days, this only God story, and yet the power structure and the people in power are much slower to change. And they're still trying to use fear to intimidate Nehemiah and stop him from following God. And if that isn't enough, verse 19 reminds us that they also spoke of his, Tobias, good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. In other words, not only are they continuing in this, this dysfunctional relationship that's not of God, but they're continuing to tell Nehemiah how great Tobiah is, how wonderful he is, even though Nehemiah knows that this is a man who's been intimidating him, uh, slandering him, uh, hurling threats against him, attacks of all kinds against him, and yet the people continue to say, he's a great guy. And Nehemiah's words have to be few, and they have to, he has to continue to concentrate his mind and his heart on what God is doing. People who know that God is speaking often feel less inclined to have to speak themselves. And Nehemiah models that for us. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley retired from First Baptist Church Atlanta. 
And I mentioned that as we close the message today because he was one of my heroes and still is. Just his, his many writings and his preaching. My parents came to faith late in their life. And so uh, I grew up when I was in, in elementary school after they came to know, to know Jesus, uh, listening to Charles Stanley in touch. They played it on CBS in the morning and the evening. We would listen to it in the morning as we were getting ready for church. And then they would put it on again in the evening. And I would tell my parents, we've already heard this sermon. We would hear it over and over and over again. And I can still hear his voice and, and God's truth through his voice. And so just want to honor him and bless him today. And I know many of you have been blessed by his ministry. But there, there were two things that Dr. Stanley said throughout his ministry that have, that have stuck with me. The first is that God takes full responsibility for the life that is fully devoted to him. And we see that through the life of Nehemiah. God takes full responsibility for the life that is fully devoted to him. I love that. And then Dr. Stanley would always say this, and I actually noticed when he was sharing on his retirement video, he, he used this words, his last words to the church. He said, obey God, obey God, and leave all the consequences to him. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. And I love those words, and, and they remind us of Nehemiah's simple words today. He, he obeyed God, and he left all the consequences to him. I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. I'm just going to concentrate on God. I'm going to simply do his will by his grace, by his power, and I'm going to leave all the consequences to him because God takes full responsibility for the life that's fully devoted to him. Let me, let me say it another word today as we, as we finish this first section of Nehemiah from Nehemiah 6, verses 15 through 19, that he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will be faithful to complete it. And that's the story of Nehemiah, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let me, let me say it another way, bottom line today. God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. So follow God, obey God, and leave all the consequences to him. To him alone be the glory today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these simple words that remind us of your profound truth, that you're with us, that you're for us, that you love us. Help us to look to you in times of confusion and difficulty and disappointment that many of us are experiencing today. Help us to look to you, God, and to know that you always finish what you start. Give us the wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us and give us the faith now to go and to obey. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So if you're able today, I wanna encourage you to, to grab the elements. Uh, we're gonna finish today in worship by receiving communion. And so if you haven't already gathered them together, some bread or some crackers and some juice, uh, maybe just hit pause and, and come back to us uh, when you've gathered the elements together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread in a cup. Um, he shared with his disciples these words. He said, uh, this bread represents my body that is given for you. And then he took a cup and he said, likewise, this cup represents my blood that is shed for you. It represents a new covenant that I'm making, Jesus said, in my blood. And then he went on to say to his disciples, as often as you 
eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim my death. In other words, you proclaim my sacrifice once and for all for each of you, that it is finished. These simple words that salvation has been completed, not from your works, but the completed work of Christ on the, on the cross on our behalf. So the table of God reminds us of the gospel, the good news that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is the gospel that through the person and the work of Jesus, God has fully accomplished, he's completed salvation for us. That's what we celebrate today through these elements. So when you're ready, would you take the bread or the cracker that you have and would you break it? And then would you dip it into the cup? This is the table of God for you, the people of God. So wherever you might be today, I wanna invite you now to partake of it together. to the Father. Let his grace wash over you. Amen. If you would extend your hands for a benediction as we go today from wherever you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and give you peace. 